The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When I grow up, I want to be a DJ. Welcome to The Shaleen Show. Shaleen has helped thousands with her books, seminars, and online academies. She's the author of the New York Times bestselling book, Push, and a mother of two. Your host once thought she would be a nightclub DJ. Wicker, wicker. Nightclub DJ. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to 98.7 on your FM dial. It just seemed like such a cool thing to be a nightclub DJ. Instead, I ended up working at a record store in the mall. Close, but not exactly. I had no idea I would end up in fitness, but it has always been my goal to help people become strong, strong. And today, that's what we're going to talk about, strength, but not your physical strength, your mental strength, your character, your toughness, that edge that makes you feel like you can do anything. For all the years, all the hours, all the videos, all of the lectures, all of the seminars, all the appearances that I've done to help people improve their physical strength, I believe there's nothing more important for any of us to work on than our inner strength. It doesn't do us any good to just say, I want to be a stronger person, whether it's inner strength or physical strength. You actually have to do something about it. You've got to make yourself stronger. It's not something someone else can do to you. It's something you have to do. It's, it's a change and a transformation that you must create. Eleanor Roosevelt once said that no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. And I've always loved that phrase, but there's been times when I've struggled with it. For some people, myself included, there are times where I didn't intend to give you permission to make me feel this way. You just did. And it makes me mad. And I I didn't want to give you permission to make me feel that way. But now I feel this way, which got me thinking, maybe it's not that simple. Maybe we don't realize sometimes that we've given someone permission to make us feel this way and that it happens gradually over time. So what do we do about it? How can we be more aware so that we're less lenient? I just think we're oversimplifying it to suggest that people knowingly give another person permission to make them feel bad. I think we're better served by looking at this condition, this situation, which even the most confident of people can find themselves in and recognize that it sometimes happens without us realizing that's what's going on. And if we can get really, really good at recognizing when that's happening, then we're more likely to put on the brakes and say, wait a minute, no, 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 no. You do not have permission to make me feel less than you. You don't have permission. I'm not granting you permission to make me feel guilty for this. So while I love the power of that quote from Eleanor Roosevelt, it's oversimplified because not everybody is always equipped to brush off comments or interactions or just 
the way a relationship evolves that before you know it, someone has made you feel inferior or less than or unworthy or unlovable or any of these other negative cognitions that you have no business believing about yourself. And I just don't think that anyone knowingly gives permission to somebody else to make them feel badly. Instead, what's going on is we have knowingly allowed someone to treat us that way and we've accepted that and therefore inadvertently we've given them permission. So so let's just back this up and talk about developing the tools that we need to detect when this is happening so that we don't unknowingly give somebody permission to make those kind of withdrawals from our confidence, from our strength. The good news is this is a learned skill, which means anybody can learn this through practice. In much the same way, it doesn't make any sense for me to say, you're, you're strong, pick up a 30-pound dumbbell and do bicep curls. I mean, that sounds great, but if you don't have the strength, if you haven't built up the strength to do that, it's just a statement. The same way, it's just a statement to tell someone, just shrug it off if somebody makes you feel bad. That's your problem. And it's almost like victimizing the victim, you know? It's like, well, you know, you're so insecure that you've, you've given that person permission to make you feel insecure. And while there is some truth to it, it's not the whole story. But the good news is, and I want you to get really excited about this, is we all have the ability to get better at this because it's a skill. And anything that's a skill means that you and I can learn it and we can get better and therefore stronger, stronger with exercise, stronger with practice, stronger by developing the skills that help us identify when these things are happening. Here's your first exercise. The next time something happens or someone triggers something in you that makes you feel a certain way before responding to it, before you start to like take on that identity and feel really own that feeling, I want you to stop yourself and just ask yourself, do I deserve to feel this way? Am I a bad person? Am I inferior? Am I dumb? Am I unlovable? Just honestly ask yourself that question. And try to answer that question for yourself without thinking about this particular situation or this particular individual, because they've obviously stirred something inside of you that is unique to this circumstance. I want you to think about all the other years, days, weeks, experiences that provide you with evidence to the contrary. Now, this is a habit you've got to get into, because if you allow yourself to feel that way and to take on that feeling, that identity that that person has triggered in you, well, then yes, you've created the habit of giving away your power. Then what you're doing is developing a negative habit, a bad habit, the habit of giving people permission to take away whatever it is you want to own. I want to own the fact that I'm confident. I want to own the fact that I don't need everybody's approval. I want to own the fact that the people who matter the most to me, the people whose opinions count are my family and my closest friends. I want to own that. And when I allow somebody else to make me feel other than that, I'm strengthening the habit of giving that away. And I want to carry that with me. So I'm going to break that habit and I'm going to strengthen the habit of holding on to that characteristic that I'm so proud of, that that characteristic that I know I have and I have to stop giving it to other people. And I don't want to give that away. That's mine. I've earned it. There's too much evidence to the contrary. This person doesn't deserve to take that away from me. So this first exercise is pretty simple. 
all you need to do is notice feelings in your body. And I'm not a therapist, I'm not a psychologist, but I do coach people to be their best. And one of the most important things that you can do is be self-aware. I mean, to be a stronger person, we have to recognize that there are just certain situations and even certain people that trigger negative emotions in us. And it usually has very little to do with that individual has very little to do even with the interaction that's created the trigger. It has something to do with our past, something to do with their past. But once we become self-aware, we recognize it's making us feel a certain way. That's when you stop and before you begin to own or identify with that negative feeling and give that person your power or give them, in effect, permission to make you feel a certain way. I want you to just stop, notice what you feel, and then ask yourself that same series of questions without regard for the person who triggered that in you. And it really helps if you find yourself triggered all the time with this very same emotion. And maybe it's that you're dumb or that people look at you with judgment. Perhaps that you feel that you're inferior because of your looks or your socioeconomic status. Maybe you think it's that you're not good enough to hang around this group of people. But whatever it is, if there's a common feeling, something that you regularly feel triggered by, it's not just from one individual, but oftentimes you feel alienated or alone or shamed or guilty. If you're feeling this on a regular basis, regardless of the individual, and it just keeps coming up, you've got to. Trust me when I say you will gain a lifelong advantage by making an investment in a great therapist, period, end of subject. And if this is the first time you've heard me say this, I should probably warn you, it won't be the last. I am such an advocate of people finding a great therapist to help you work through this stuff. It's garbage. It's baggage. It's heavy, heavy luggage that you are dragging around and having to cope with and deal with all the time. Get rid of it unless you've gone to school. And you know what? Even if you have gone to school and you're a therapist, even the best therapists I know have their own therapist. Why? Because they're really, really smart. Smart people work with a therapist as opposed to dragging around that luggage and just white knuckling it and just managing those negative thoughts year after year after year. Why manage them? Let's get rid of them once and for all. But until that point, and maybe even after that point, there will still be moments when someone will trigger you and those old feelings start to come up. We're going to break the habit of holding on to that. We're going to break the habit of giving away our power. We're going to break the habit of allowing people to make us feel a way that we don't deserve to feel. It's not logical to feel inferior to another human being. It's just not. I got to tell you, for many years, I, I couldn't figure out why I felt so, I guess there's no other way to put it, but worthless or um, useless to people unless I could make them money. Now, I have to be clear. This was not about me making money for me. I mean, I needed, the only way I felt really good about myself, like, yes, I matter, is if I could do something for someone else, like a boss or a, a partner or a business or a, my sales manager, wh wh whoever it was, I didn't feel like I was a good person or valuable unless I was making them a lot of money. And this came up all the time for me. And eventually it turned into quite an addiction to work. Like it was a legit addiction. But the funny thing is, I, I wasn't ashamed of it, I guess, because in our 
society and our culture. Like working hard is such a revered trait. At least that's what I always thought was, you know, a positive thing. I thought it was a positive thing that I could always see that there was something more to do. And it drove me crazy. Like when I walked into stores and I could see, you know, the sales staff just sitting there like checking their phones. I'm like, there's there's work to be done. People be a workaholic. And so I wore my addiction proudly. I would brag to people like they would go, how do you get everything done? And I would say, I know I'm just a workaholic. Like I honestly wore it like a badge of honor, which is so funny to me now because it can be just as detrimental as an addiction to heroin, you know, or or crystal meth. And you wouldn't walk around telling people, proudly. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm just the reason why I've got so much energy is because I just smoke crystal meth. Like you wouldn't brag about it, you know? Being a workaholic, being addicted to work can be just as devastating to your relationships as being addicted to anything else, gambling or pornography or or drugs. I mean, it really can be just as damaging to your relationships. Now, your teeth might not fall out from being a workaholic, but you can lose a lot of things when you place more emphasis on your work and creating money than you do on creating a connection with the people that matter. So I was in this full-blown addiction and and I couldn't stop. I didn't want to stop because in order for me to feel good about myself, I had to create for other people. I had to create something that would make them money. And that meant I couldn't stop. If I stopped, I didn't feel good about myself. And eventually with the, you know, suggestion, or should I say suggestion, the urging of my husband, I did see a therapist and worked through why it was I felt that way, which stemmed from some early childhood experiences. And and I'm not saying this to like throw my parents under a bus. They're like the coolest people ever, ever, ever. But there were some things that happened when I was a kid that they didn't intend for me to develop this thought process. But I had some early childhood experiences that formed this belief in my mind that I was valuable because I could make people money. And once I was able to kind of eliminate that negative belief, everything changed. I mean, you are listening to a reformed workaholic, and I'm on a one-woman mission to help other people understand that work can be just as devastating of an addiction as any other drug, food, alcohol, pornography. And I'm serious about this. I've seen many workaholics not only destroy their marriage, but their relationship with their children. More important than the fact that I can relax now, and this is key, is when situations would happen, which continue to arise even today, where I you know, didn't hit somebody else's mark. I didn't make them as much money as they thought, or I came in lower than what somebody might have expected, or my show didn't hit number one that week. I've since learned that that has nothing to do with my personal value. And I want to share an experience that happened to me just about two months ago. Um, now, I'm an affiliate for other programs, other people, things that I really believe help my customers. Um, they're always something that I use myself. I will never, ever, ever, ever recommend anything unless I use it myself and I love it. And then beyond that, I won't share anything with my list unless not only is it a program that I like, but I like the person, like as a person associated with it. And I'm pretty pretty particular now about who I will promote. In other words, who I'm going to send you an email about. You, you're you going to know that I have done my research. I like this person. I like what they stand for. However, there was a time just recently where I, I sent for a program that I really like. 
But I got a phone call from the individual who who owns this particular company. Gosh, I'm not going to name names. I know you're trying to figure it out. Don't worry, you won't be able to. He was explaining to me kind of where I ranked in terms of all the other people who were quote unquote affiliates. I thought to myself, I I don't care. That's that's not why I suggested it to my list. Anyways, I'm not trying to be your number one. And and so it didn't bother me until all of the sudden he went through a kind of breakdown of how much each affiliate was valued to him per click, meaning when one meaning when someone from my list clicked on his link, here was the actual value for this person, this person, this person, and here it is for you, Shaleen. And I was, you know, lower than he wanted me to be on that list. And for just a fleeting moment, just a moment, I felt that feeling like, oh, I'm not valuable. And that's a pretty tough pill to swallow to know that you you try so hard and you care so much about people, but then to suddenly have this feeling take over where you're thinking to yourself, I'm not valuable. And if I, if I let this keep going in my head, not only am I not valuable, I'm not worthy. I'm not, what I'm doing doesn't have value to this person. So therefore I must not have value to the world. And I, in the past, I probably would have let my head just keep going through those negative thoughts and let them, letting them snowball. But because I've done the therapy and because I processed through some of these, you know, they were almost like incorrect memories. Not incorrect, but there were just things that happened when I was a kid. And I've, I've told this story um, from the stage. In fact, I shared it in um, an interview I did with Lewis Howes. If you if you haven't listened to his podcast, make sure you subscribe. I love him. It's a great show. It's called School of Greatness. And and I shared with him that the one incident that really stuck with me as a kid that made me feel this way. And you'll you'll understand from hearing that story that it was nothing my parents had intended. It's just sometimes things happen when we're kids and we process it with the rationale and logic of a seven-year-old or a nine-year-old or a 12-year-old. And, and there it stays even once you're, you know, 35, 45, it's still there unless you process through it and apply your adult logic. And that's what I had to do. Because I've done so much therapy, I was like, whew. I mean, I just like brushed it away. I felt a little twinge of anger, but it wasn't his thing. It wasn't at all what he was trying to say about me. It was just simply in his mind, showing me a breakdown of the numbers and kind of how he predicts certain programs. I just have to tell you that even if you do ever figure out who this was and what it was I was sending for, it wasn't a reflection on on this individual or their company. It was more so he was crunching numbers and in my head, I reverted back to my old way of thinking, which was, uh-oh, I didn't perform as well as he thought that I would and therefore I'm not valuable. But I immediately went to the exercise of asking myself, what makes me valuable? What makes me important? What makes me unique? And the answer is that I care about people. It's not how much money I can make somebody else. It's not about where I ranked on his list or how much my list meant to him per click. That wasn't important. And it wasn't what he was trying to say. And what I needed to remember is that I am valuable because I'm a great teacher, because I care about people, and because I put people before anything else. I just have to be honest and tell you, I would not have been able to get there that quickly had I not done a lot of therapy to get over and to get rid of that negative belief. So steps number one and number two are first, of course, to recognize when we're being triggered 
and then to make sure that we're not giving away our power by practicing these exercises that help us develop that strength. The next best way to develop personal strength has a lot to do with the same mechanisms that we use to develop physical strength. So I'd like to explain this to you and, and forgive me if, if you are in the fitness industry or a personal trainer, but I think this it's really interesting how this relates to muscle growth as well. You see, the reason why a muscle grows, and in fact, the only way we can make a muscle grow is when we break it down. That sounds negative to some people, but it's just the science behind it. In other words, I've got to place force on a muscle that creates muscle breakdown. Then the muscle fibers repair themselves. And when they repair themselves, what they're doing is adapting that muscle so that it can handle a new level or a new threshold of stress. In other words, the body is saying, okay, so we understand now we're under this new type of pressure, this new type of stress, a heavier weight. And the body is repairing the tissue so that it can handle that in the future. That's called growth. Interesting, isn't it? One of the best ways for you to become a stronger person is by learning to embrace change and fear. That will actually make you not only a stronger person, but a more courageous person. You see, courage requires fear. I mean, there is no courage if there's an absence of fear. You don't, you don't need to be courageous. If you don't have any fear, you're just acting. You're just, you're just behaving. But if you feel fear, if you feel trepidation and you are nervous and anxious about the outcome of something and you've, you've calculated the risk and you realize I'm, I'm not going to die from this. It may be uncomfortable. It may place me under a great deal of pressure, but I know I'm going to be better for it. And then you actually follow through and then you realize, wow, the, I, I did survive this. I did live through this. It creates this cycle of confidence where we go, okay, I did something scary. I was nervous about it. I felt fear and I found the courage to follow through anyways. And I lived to tell and I got better the next time I did it and the next time and the next time. So in order to become a strong person, you can't keep running away from things that scare you. As a matter of fact, one of the most important things that you can do, find something that scares the dust out of you and then just do it. And notice how good you feel. Notice how confident you feel. Notice how much stronger you become each time you do something that's like pretty scary. And that includes change. You see, most people avoid change because of fear. They don't want things to change because then they would lose control. And if we lose control, what what would that say? If, if we don't have control over our world, if we don't have control over other people, then what might happen? Well, what might happen is you might just survive it. You might just find that during that breakdown, growth occurs. There's one other really kind of important note that I think applies not only to muscle growth, but spiritual growth and the strength of character that we need. And that is that muscle growth doesn't occur as we're lifting. It occurs during the rest period after the stress or after the strenuous workout. So just know in those toughest moments when you're in the thick of things, don't expect a ton of growth in that moment. But once it's over and you can sit back I think that what you will see is that you've grown from the experience and you are now a stronger person. My kids are 17 and 14 at the time that I'm recording this. 
And it just seems like yesterday I brought my oldest, Brock, home from the hospital. And I can remember sitting in the back seat next to his car seat, and he was all swaddled. And we had one of those little, like, you know, cushioned head things that hold their head in place. And that, to me, still wasn't enough. So then I wrapped my hands around that little cushioned headrest just so that if we went over a speed bump, it wouldn't accidentally give him brain damage. You know, then the next one you bring home and you're like, eh. Yeah, yeah, just throw them in the back. But that first kid, you know, that first child, when you bring home, you're so worried about them getting hurt. But I remember him learning to walk and how many times he fell and how many times there must have been an angel intervening because he would fall just a centimeter's distance away from a very sharp object or, you know, a a marble table. And each time I thought, how in the world did he escape death with this fall? But that's what kids do. They fall, they stumble and they fall and they get up and they stumble and they fall and they get up and they stumble and they fall over and over and over again. And we see it as such an amazing testament to success. But as adults, for some reason, every time some of us fail, we tend to look at that as a negative or failure. Whereas we would never see that as failure if you know a child is learning to walk or when a student is trying to learn something new. So you've got to reframe the way you view your own missed attempts. It's part of the journey to success. I mean, I have so many, I guess you could call them failures. I've never thought of them as failures. I've always thought of them as funny stories I could later tell in a podcast or funny stories I could tell from the stage. I've always seen every failure as something that would teach me how to do it better the next time. Now, I don't like to fail. I don't love to fail, but I don't mind it because I know there's always an opportunity for me to learn. Even if I don't have the opportunity to do that very same thing again, at least I know what I did wrong and how I can be better. And that always makes me stronger. We want to feel strong. It feels good to feel strong physically, mentally, spiritually in our relationships. When we feel strength, we feel safe. We feel in control. There's nothing better than feeling strong on the inside. And we see a lot of people who overcompensate for what they feel on the inside by making their exterior look strong. And sometimes it's because they feel weak inside. I mean, I see this a lot. I see it at the gym. I see it in my industry. You probably know people who have this amazing physique and they're always working on their body. And perhaps it is to compensate, not always, but sometimes it is to compensate for a weakness that they feel within. So how do we strengthen our inner resolve? I believe you have to start by knowing ultimately what is your end goal. The same way if I was your personal trainer and we were to sit down and create a plan for you to follow to get stronger, I would want to know what's your goal. Are you going camping or hiking? Do you want to learn to water ski? Is it just something you want to do to look better in your bikini? Like what's the goal? Ask yourself that question when it comes to your your inner resolve, your inner strength. What is your goal? My goal is to make sure I'm always doing what's right. Doing what's right next, according to my priorities, my values, and most of that centers around my family. With that goal in mind, knowing that that is my overriding principle, it allows me to find the strength that I need to say no sometimes when people ask me to do something. It gives me the inner resolve and the power and the accountability that I need when my people-pleasing tendencies 
start to take over. I want to help everybody. And sometimes that feels like it's the right thing to do. But there's sometimes more than one right thing to do. Is it right to help this person if it requires my family has to sacrifice? Is it the right thing for me to do to say yes to you? Because if I say yes to you for this, that means I have to say no to me or I have to say no to my family or no to my own business or my own pursuits. So it really helps, especially those of you who tend to make decisions based on pleasing others. And we don't even realize we're doing it. We think it's out of the kindness of our heart. But oftentimes what we're, we're doing is trying to please others because we think it will make us feel better. And it just doesn't. We end up taking on their problems, taking on their responsibilities, and for not much gratitude and a whole lot of extra headache, and worse yet, to the detriment of our own family. Simply stated, my goal when I think about my personal strength, my my inner strength, my goal is to feel confident that the decisions I'm making are the right decisions. The way I'm spending my day, the people who I give my energy to, the things that I'm doing are all in alignment with my priorities and my values. And when when I feel that way, I feel a power, a strength, a confidence that allows me to also enjoy peace. If I question my own motives, if I wonder if I've made the right decision, I feel nervous, I feel weak, I feel compromised, I question myself. But when I make a decision that I know is the right decision according to my values, according to my own priorities, I feel strong, I feel empowered. We tend to be people pleasers. We want everybody to be better. And oftentimes we say yes to way too many things because we want to help other people. But at the end of the day, oftentimes we say yes to things that are not in alignment with our own values and our own priorities. We place somebody else's priorities and values ahead of our own and to the detriment sometimes to our family and the people who we care the most about. By working on my own inner strength, I learn to feel more confident when I say no. It's helped me to realize that when I say yes to someone and offer my assistance, my help, my knowledge, my money, whatever it is, that I'm actually saying no to something that's important to me. I can't say yes to spending an hour with you without realistically understanding I have to say no to spending that hour on my own stuff, on my own family, my own goals, my own pursuits, my own customers, my own hobbies, my own rest and relaxation. So every time I say yes to someone, I have to ask myself, is this the right thing? And by right thing, I mean, is this in alignment with my own priorities, my own values, and what it is I believe and stand for? It's not uncommon to want to say yes to something that it is in alignment with your beliefs and your values and your priorities, but it means that you have to say no to something else and that something else should rank even higher than the thing that you've said yes to. So ultimately, my goal when I think about my strength is to have knowledge and confidence and resolve and the belief that what I'm doing, how I'm spending my day, the decisions that I'm making, the people who I'm investing time with, all of those things are, quote, unquote, the right thing to do according to my values, my priorities, and the way I've designed my life. And to be honest, sometimes that means making some decisions that are really selfless, meaning I want to go and do this appearance. I would love to speak on this person's stage. I would love to have a girl's night out or whatever it is. But I have to ask myself if by saying yes to this, am I saying no to something which should be a higher priority? 
In most cases, I have to ask myself, is this the best thing for my family? Is this the best thing for my children? Is this going to help my children, help my family, hurt them, or is it pretty much indifferent? And that's, quite honestly, that's how I measure most of my decisions because it's simple. We overcomplicate our decisions. Just make them simple. Those are the simple questions I ask myself when I feel like, oh, gosh, I, I, I want to do this. I really want to do this. But is it the right thing to do? You see, knowing the right thing to do means knowing what's right for you, not what's the right thing to do based on society or based on what people expect you to do or what people will think of you. Doing the right thing requires that you know who you are. But I've always struggled with that cliche because it sounds so simple, like, you know, you need to know who you are. Well, you know who you are. You know where you live. You know your name. You know your date of birth. You know your social security number. You know, you, you know, you know who you are. What does that mean? I think it means knowing who you are when you're forced to make a difficult decision, knowing what you stand for, knowing what's truly, ultimately important to you. Like, how do you do the right thing when you're not really sure what the right thing is for you? Like, I know what the right thing is for other people or what society might want me to do or what other people expect me to do or what I might need to do to make sure people like me. But what do I need to do so that it's the right thing according to my own definition? definition of what's important, my own definition of what I want to do in this world, what I, the mark I want to leave on my family, my children, and the people who I care about. And the only way to do that, in my opinion, is to take it from your brain and to put it on paper and to go through the difficult exercises. They're not difficult. I don't know why I said difficult. They're not difficult. It's just that most people don't do them. The only thing that's difficult about it is making it important enough to spend 20 minutes putting this stuff down on paper. It's why I created my 30-day challenge. It's the 30daypush.com. Now, I'm not trying to sell you anything because that's a free program. But if you've struggled with some of the things I've talked about today, if you've never put on paper exactly which area of your life is most important to you right now and which areas are just intrinsically part of you, you don't need any accountability, you just do it naturally, you get it done, and perhaps you even spend too much time there. And then what areas you really need to focus more attention on so that you feel good, you feel right about your decisions and your behaviors. If you've thought this through, but you've, you've never put it in writing, I can't be strong enough in my recommendation that you actually put it in writing. I mean, if, if you want to be strong and you come to me as a personal trainer, I'm going to say, we need to get on a strength training program. You're paying me to help you get strong. That's what I'm going to tell you to do. If you started listening to this program because you would like to be a stronger person, and let's face it, who wouldn't want to be a stronger person? You've got to put this stuff in writing. And I've created a really simple formula to help people figure this out. And most importantly, you'll be able to adjust it really quickly when there are major life changes. Because if tomorrow you find out that someone you care about has cancer, your priorities shift. If your son goes away to college next year, your priorities will shift. If you're recently divorced or you've changed jobs or you've just graduated from college, each major life change means that you'll need to go back and reevaluate your written priority clarity statement. But once you've created it, the work has been done and modifying it is really simple, but you've got to modify it every time you go through a pretty major life change. But if you've never done that exercise, I strongly encourage you to do it because nothing will make you stronger than having the conviction of clarity, clarity of knowing what is right for you. 
That's what it means to know who you are. Who you are is what you will do, the actions you will take when no one else is looking. The decisions that you'll make when you're forced into a corner. I think everyone says they've got you know really high morals and standards and, and they believe they would act this way or that way until they're actually presented with that situation. And then our, our emotions and our ego and, and other bad habits tend to cloud what it is we once thought up in our head was our priority. But if it's on paper, gosh, there's something about it that just keeps us accountable and gives us an incredible strength, integrity, power, determination, and the character that serves you when you have a difficult decision to make. So if you haven't done that, please, by all means, it's free. Go through 30-day push. Even if you don't do the whole 30 days, just take this challenge up to the point where I walk you through putting in writing your own priority clarity statement. That step alone will make you a stronger person, a stronger mother, a stronger father, a stronger friend, a stronger member of your team. It just gives you this conviction, this power. It's really kind of interesting. I mean, the whole thing is really interesting. And I know that's why you're here. It's why I love you, because that's what we have in common. We both, we want to be better. We want to be better for the world. We want to be better for the people who matter the most to us. Thank you so much for spending this time with me. I really do appreciate it. I value your time. Thank you for letting me know what you think about the show. It's kind of weird to be like sitting here and talking to you and I really don't know what you think or what pieces of the show really spoke to you. So by all means, please let me know. The best way to reach me is either Facebook or you can send me a tweet. I'm at Shalene Johnson. And then of course, to leave me a comment under this particular podcast, all you have to do is go to shaleenjohnson.com forward slash podcast. Now, if you don't already know, I do have two shows. One is called Build Your Tribe and that's really about leadership and building a personal brand online and um, marketing tips and things that will help you create your plan B if you don't already have one or to be better at it if you do have a plan B. It's about leading people and, and helping to build community. This program is called The Shalene Show. And if you go to shaleenjohnson.com forward slash podcast, you will see both of those show options there. Just click on the episode that you want to leave me a comment about. And if you're not much into typing, we have a little, um, I think it's called speaker pipe. And you can actually record me a message. I love that. And I will be playing those in upcoming shows. So thank you. Your feedback means the world to me. It's, it's really why I do this. Podcasts are free. They take a lot of time. But for me, I feel like this is my calling my purpose, my passion, and it just makes it so much more rewarding when I know the messages are connecting with you. All right, until we talk again, I just want you to know I love you. You are the bomb.com.